these days, marriage means different things to different people. But it is surprising how many still wish to love, honor, and cherish their partners. Although not many wish to obey, particularly those who have a lucky break. I stand at the crest of the hill by the old wicker gate. It has been raining hard all afternoon, but beginning to ease a little now. I've been there for a while, not knowing what to do. I want to leave. God, how I want to leave. Freedom is so close. Just three more steps and I would be on the cattle grid. Another three and I would be on the track that leads to the highway. In fact, from where I stand, I can see the glimmering lights of the city down below. I take one step forward, then stop. I'm scared, petrified. I know only too well what would happen if he follows and finds me again. How many times had I stood in that very spot? Sometimes I had even crossed the grid and made my way down the hill towards the city, walking, stumbling, running, and every time he had found me, brought me back, and then, then I would be punished. My hand goes to my cheek. The bleeding has stopped, but the wound feels raw and painful. My fingers move upwards and trace the swelling around my eye. Very soon my vision will be impaired and I will find it difficult following the path back to the house. Hmm, back to the house. Involuntarily I turn and peer across the incline into the encroaching gloom. The watery moon lays low in the vapid night sky, just above the homestead. <laughs> it's like the Bethlehem star above the stable. It leaves the house outlined like a huge crouching beast, menacing, waiting to devour its prey. Why don't I leave? Like I had so many times before, why not take those steps past the sweet-smelling limes, past the creamy white magnolia, and through the gate to freedom? I feel my body droop in despair as the answer surges through me yet again. Because he would find me. He always finds me. And I would return, hungry, cold, chastened, and defeated. My cheek burns with the swelling, and raising my hand, I feel beads of sweat on my forehead. Anger sweeps through me, leaving a knot of fear erupting in my stomach. The acrid taste of bile seeps in my mouth. That's why tonight has to be different. The bile is replaced by adrenaline, and I stiffen strong and alert. There must be no running away tonight. A grey-blue wavering light suddenly gives the beast an eye as he switches on the television and the faint sounds of laughter waft through the air. Suddenly a crude guffle penetrates the darkness. His beer is making him happy. An owl screeches its protest against the violation of peace. A moment later its dark shape swoops on a defenceless mouse. I stare at it, hypnotised. Within seconds the mouse will be dead and the owl's hunger appeased. Oh, I know about that hunger. My own gnaws at me, but it is not food I crave. I crave revenge. I need to inflict pain, 
Only pain on his loathsome body would replace the empty cavern of needs not met in mine. I find myself trembling. How I had longed to be loved, to be cherished, to be free from having my body violated again and again. A need for rest, protection. I take out the knife, so carefully concealed against my skin. It is sharp, honed to cut into the carcass of wild prey. I hold it tight, but the pressure makes my fingers ache. Yet I cannot relax my grip. I'm too tense. I test the blade against my arm. It's razor sharp. Even the slight prick draws blood. I push deeper, fascinated as the trickle oozes across my skin. I lick it clean. It tastes sweet. The sweet taste of revenge. I shiver, lonely and afraid and, and excited. Again, the uneasy solitude is disturbed, this time by the shrill ring of a telephone. <laughs> His barrage of curses come across the night air as he stirs himself from the couch. His beer bloated figure is now in sight in the television's eerie glow as he lumbers to pick up the receiver. He kicks aside whatever is in his way. <laughs> He's too drunk to even think of switching on a light. The deep growl of his voice floods the paddocks. Martha! Martha! Where are you, you stupid bitch? It's your bloody old bag of a mother on the phone. What's to know if you're feeling any better? What you been saying? Now he's out of view, with only crashing furniture announcing his search through the house. I begin to tremble again and shift the knife from one hand to the other. Through the tattered fly screen door, I can just see him in the hallway. He's removed his singlet and the grubby shorts have settled below the flab of his belly. In his hand is the inevitable bottle and occasionally he strains his neck back trying to get to the very last drop. He stands at the door, holding onto the frame with his free hand and peers around into the gloom. For a moment I can feel his gaze burning right through me. My newfound determination begins to crumble and I cringe further back into the shadows. Some of the twigs crackle under my weight. His head swings round, directed towards the sounds. Martha! Is that you out there? Come in here, you silly cow. What have you been telling that old windbag this time? Letting go of the doorpost, he lurches across the wide veranda towards the steps. I'm motionless with fright. This is it. I finally have to face him. Thirty years of this ogre's taunts and cruelties begin to unravel, leaving hot, searing rage. I know what to do. I will wait until he comes to me. He'll grab my hair. He always grabs my hair, yanking it in savage thrusts so that I swing as a puppet in his grasp. So... I will not resist. No, I will allow myself to be drawn towards him close, as if in a lover's embrace. I'll, I'll crumble against him, a puppet against his master. Then, then I will plunge the knife into his chest, deep, deep, deep. I salivate and swallow with impatience. I, will I do it? Will I? He's shouting again. His footsteps thunder along the length of the old veranda, the wooden beams loudly creaking their resistance. Martha, you wait till I get hold of you, you little blabbermouth. I'll turn... <coughs> the final words are lost in a cry, and then a high-pitched screech. 
in his stupor he had misjudged the first step of the veranda and had lost his footing. He tumbles backwards, hitting his head against the post. Then, like a rag doll, he ricochets down the eight steps, the decaying wood splintering as he falls. He snatches wildly for support with his free hand, but for some reason he keeps firm hold on the bottle in the other. Now, now it gets knocked against the wood and breaks, shattering fragments of glass all over him. He lands like a puppet on a string at the bottom step, makes one final attempt to regain his balance, but but he slips forward into the mud, rolling around in anguish. Martha, come here. I'm hurt. Quick, quick, get a doctor. I'm bloody well bleeding to death. For a moment, I can only stand, frozen, and look in horror where he lay. A large shard of glass pierces his gut. Blood is oozing from the wound, and shards of wood and broken bottle are embedded in his flesh. One leg is twisted under him at a strange and unnatural angle. It's, it's ugly, but yes, it, it is exciting. I walk over towards him. Our eyes meet in a long stare. Silently, I show him the knife. At first, he is puzzled. Then he understands. His features contort and his eyes bulge with disbelief. He tries to speak, but can't. He can only focus on breathing, and even this has begun to weaken. I look about me. Thirty years of neglect has allowed termites to feast on the woodwork, which is now no more than a skeletal framework of posts and beams. The front steps are a distorted mass of wooden debris. So I slowly make my way around the house, up the ramp to the back door. I switch on the kitchen light and note with satisfaction the litter of empty bottles strewn about the floor. Crossing to the cabinet, I open the top drawer and return the knife to its place. In the lounge room, the telephone, still off its hook, is giving a burring sound. My mother, tired of waiting, has hung up. With one strong, sharp pull, the wires come out and fall to the floor. I don't touch anything else. I go into the bedroom and get my coat and bag, then return the way I had come. My husband is still lying in the mud, but by now the blood is thickening and his cries are feeble. I walk past the sheds. The old utility is in its usual place, the keys still in the ignition, but that is of no use to me. I have no license. I make my way down the overgrown path, past the sweet-smelling limes, their scent is rich and fragrant after the heavy rains. I cross the cattle grid and out of the gate. Turning onto the rutted dirt track, I make my way to the highway. It will take an hour to walk to town, longer if I get lost. So easy to do when unused to the heavy traffic. I had so rarely left the homestead. I find the multi-lane highway fast and bewildering. No chance to flag down a motorist. A car screeches a warning as I try to cross the road, making me aware of my blurred vision. So I slow down, but my mission is clear. I must obey my husband's instructions and find a doctor. But where? I had never been given chance to meet one. Far up in the treetops, the magpies bicker as they take up their nesting positions for the night. 
I enjoy their evening song and begin to hum a tune of my own, an old childhood song. I allow myself a smile. Even though tired and bruised, I could be proud that I would keep my wedding vows. Love, honor, and obey. True, loving was a little difficult, and so was honor. But I will obey his wish to find a doctor, no matter how long it takes, or till death us do part. You have been listening to A Lucky Break, written by Brianda Cross and performed by Brianda Cross and John Cross, who have been happily married for many, many years. <laughs>